Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Well, first of all, I just want to say a big well done for uh, making it to the first 10 a.m. service of 2021. I know you could be at Paper Avenue having a uh, smashed avocado, some pancakes with uh, berry compote or whatever it is that you uh, could be having, but you made the sacrifice to put that all aside, to be in the house of God for this first 10 a.m. service, and this service is recorded for online, so if you are watching online at home, or you are at the cafe, uh, or you are sleeping in, that's totally fine. You are just receiving your reward right now. Hey, but when we all get to heaven, you're more than welcome to come to where all the big houses are, and uh, we'll catch up then, which will be uh, awesome. Just kidding. <laughs> now, but it looks like a lot of you guys uh, made it out today, which is good. Hey, and I'm excited for today, but before I do start, I just want to let you know, I know preachers always say this, but I believe this is a message for someone. It's definitely a message for me, otherwise I wouldn't be preaching it. Uh, but it's definitely a message for someone, and I say that because uh, Pastor Izzy, if you're here Friday night, just give us a quick wave if you're, if you're here Friday night. Fantastic. Uh, I work with Pastor Izzy, and we usually just try and bounce off to see what the other preachers are preaching about because it's a wrestle, you know, am I preaching the right thing? Is this the right scripture? Izzy wouldn't tell me what he was preaching on, and uh, on Friday I said, well, I'm going to preach on John 5, and uh, he's like, that's what I'm preaching on tonight, and I was like, oh, no, and there's an inkling right? There was an inkling, I'm just going to be honest, there's an inkling for me to change my message last minute, but if I did that, it wouldn't be God. So I'm preaching the same message, but it's okay, I listened Friday night, I took notes, all these points made sense, but they're not the same points as mine, okay? <laughs> I'm going down a different angle. Interesting thing, Izzy is preaching from the same scripture part two next weekend as well, so I don't know who it is, or if you haven't read John 5, 1 to 14, uh, let me encourage you, write it down, John 5, 1 to 14, go home and read it, because God is trying to speak to someone, if not a lot of us, He's definitely uh, speaking to me. And what I do want to encourage you from the onset, if you are a Christian in here, when I do speak and when I do share what I'm going to share, I want you to do a couple of things. First of all, I want you to take an internal dialogue and go, do I actually agree with what He's saying? If you don't, that's okay. Just nod your head and pretend you agree. But in saying that, what I want you to do is I want you to start this conversation uh, with yourself and remember, okay, all the times that Jesus has worked in your life, okay, and hopefully this message will refresh you to go, okay, Jesus is still working. He's still got a plan. This year is going to be a great year. Secondly, if you're not a Christian and you're at home uh, and someone sent you this message, this is your first time here, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, my hope for you this morning is that this message will open your mind to realize, hey, maybe the God that you've heard about. Or maybe the Christians that you've heard about. Or what someone's told you about what Jesus is about or church is about. Or maybe you've seen, I'm sorry, an example from a Christian that hasn't been the best. I want you to open your mind and go, hey, maybe that's not who Jesus is. And in fact, my prayer is that you leave today having an understanding that Jesus is actually more real than you think. That Jesus might actually be closer to you than you think. And that you'll leave this place and begin that journey, have a greater understanding and relationship with Jesus. Is that cool? So I'm going to get straight into the scripture. Like I said, John 5, verse 1 to 14, which is the exact same verses as Izzy as well, which is, I know, it's weird, but it's God, okay? So I'm not weirded out by this stuff anymore. Just all the insecurity is just me. But we're, going to, we're going to just going to go into this message. I'm going to break it down a little bit with you this morning. Is that cool? 
So it starts off like this, John 5 verse 1, it says, After these was the feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem was a sheep gate. Now I'm going to stop right there. This sheep gate, okay, it's a, it is a gate. And it's called the sheep gate because uh, around the time of uh, uh, Passover or the, or the sacrifice, they would actually bring the sacrificial lambs through this gate. Okay, we're going to get somewhere. So here's Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, coming through the sheep gate to a pool which called in Hebrew, some of your translations may have the Aramaic version, but in Hebrew it's called Bethesda, some say Basava, okay, but they all mean the same thing. In fact, Bethesda means house of mercy or house of grace. And this pool of Bethesda has five porches. Now, do I have any history fans in this place? I'm looking at my wife at the back who's a history teacher. She didn't raise her hand, uh, but that's all good. Um, but you know the interesting thing, because often people say, oh, the Bible's not true, these aren't, you know, these aren't real stories. This actual pool exists, and they discovered it in 1964, okay? That's a long time after this translation was written, okay? It was, it was found under the Church of St. Anne, okay? So a little bit of history lesson, if you hate history, that's cool. I'm just going to take you on a journey anyway, because I found this interesting. And in fact, uh, this pool that existed Actually, in 70 AD, okay, was the first uh, Jewish-Roman conflict, okay, 70 AD, and Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. And then Emperor uh, Hadin, or Hadid, whoever you want to say it, he rebuilt, he rebuilt, oh, Hadrian, that's right, I remembered. Emperor Hadrian rebuilt the city of Jerusalem, but he wanted it to be a Roman city. So above this pool, you know, the, the five porches were destroyed, but above this pool, because he knew there was healing power in the pool, he created a temple to the god, lowercase g, uh, the god uh, Aclepius. Okay, that's exactly how you say it, Aclepius. And Aclepius was the god of medicine. Okay, Aclepius also, uh, due to Greek mythology, had a daughter called Hygiena. That's where we get the word hygiene from. Um, and Aclepius is actually, you know when you go to a hospital and you see the pole with a snake wrapped around it? That is the symbol of Aclepius. Okay, he's the, he was the god of, he's the god of medicine. Okay, so 70 AD, they built this, and then in 637 AD, the first siege of Jerusalem, okay, where the uh, Muslims took over Jerusalem, and it was destroyed again, okay, so it was flattened again, and then the Crusades in 1099 AD, okay, it was destroyed again, and then the church of uh, St. Anne was built on there. So under these layers of rubble, 1964, they excavated these lay layers of rubble, and they found this 13-meter deep pool surrounded by five porches, Okay, this is the exact location you can visit it today if you go to Jerusalem. I don't know if you'll get healed in there, uh, but it actually, it actually exists. Okay, so, so this is where the story, this pool of Bethesda, goes on in the scripture. Sorry, guys. It says, uh, in these lay a great multitude, so these five porches, lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. So they were waiting for their healing. For it said, verse 4, now verse 4 is not in some of your translations, okay? If you've got NIV, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it goes verse 3 and then it goes verse 5. They didn't know not how to count. They just left this out because this is not in all the manuscripts, but it gives context. It says, for an angel went down at a certain time to the pool and stirred up the waters. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he or she had. It says now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity, or some translations say he was disabled, he was unable, uh, and he was in this infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew, come on, 
this is crazy, just, just at one point, and he knew, Jesus knew already, Jesus already knows what you're going through. He says, and he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. He said to him this really perplexing statement, which we'll unpack in, in a bit later on. It says, do you want to be made well? Now, the sick man, he didn't answer him directly. He goes on with, what's the issue? Why he's not made well? He says, well, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. This is a scenario that's been happening to him for 38 years, a very long time. Jesus said to him, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And immediately, not in a moment, not an hour later or an afternoon later, it says immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. This is important. We're going to get to that as well. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it's the Sabbath. You're not allowed. It's, it's, it's unlawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up my bed and walk. So I did it. Then they asked them, who is this man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. But the one who was healed did not know who it was. So he was healed, but he didn't even know it was Jesus who healed him. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude had been in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have made You've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. I want to speak to you from the topic, favor ain't fair. Just turn to the person next to you and go, favor ain't fair. Now, I can see you up the back, and he's leaning over talking to someone. That's what I came up with. His name is Sean Keen. I'm actually going to steal this because this is a, this is a thing I've learned from my best man at my wedding, Sean Keen. And he always coined the phrase, favor ain't fair. And in fact, if you know Sean, which is Pastor Jared and Pastor Sue's oldest son, is he's a walking, preaching illustration. If you want to see the favor of God or, or have a crazy story, just spend an afternoon with Sean. It's like God's favor and crazy stories just happen all around him. It's amazing. I can't get into it, but uh, maybe ask him out for a coffee later and you know what I'm talking about. Boys. Okay. <laughs> Woo. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. But this favor, this favor ain't fair, is something that's really stuck with me. And this is, this is how I like to live my life for God. This favor ain't fair. It's created me in like a childlike excitement, okay? A childlike expectation for favor that around any corner, God just wants to surprise me with blessing. God just wants to surprise me with something that I was not expecting, okay? This, this, this favor ain't fair. That's my first point which is favor, or God's favor, is not about fairness. If you're taking notes, God's favor is not about fairness. What am I talking about? Well, I've got to explain to you this story. This story, this healing, this retelling in the Bible is like no other retelling in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but we hear this story of Jesus, who we know, if you've been in church for any amount of time, come on, the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God, enters through the sheep gate, the place where the sacrificial lambs would come through. And then he goes to a, a place called Bethesda, house of grace, but he himself is graced to a place of five porches, and five in the Bible means grace. There's a whole bunch of symbolism here. Grace means unmerited favor. Okay, if you don't know what grace means, grace is unmerited favor. It means you are about to receive favor that you did nothing to deserve. You made no intentions, you made no plans, you made no steps, you did no secret prayer. 
grace is unmerited favor, that, that favor is about to pour on upon you, which you didn't know was coming. You did nothing to do to deserve, but it's coming upon you. That's the meaning of grace. So here's Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, coming into the place of grace. But the strange thing about this story is it says this pool of Bethesda was filled with people who were sick. But Jesus only healed one. This place was filled with people who were sick, but Jesus only healed one. This is so uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic of Jesus. In fact, we read all through the Bible, Matthew 4, verse 23 to 24, it says this. It says, and Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing what all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went through all Syria, and, through, and they brought to him all sick people, not just some, all sick people who were affected with various diseases and torments, and, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Matthew 14, verse 13 to 14, if you still don't know, uh, if you still don't believe me, it says, it says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from their boat to a deserted place by himself. This is just after a miracle has occurred. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw the multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. There's a whole sermon right there. And he healed their sick. Jesus heals the sick. But in this story, he only heals one. Not only that, the man didn't approach Jesus. He didn't come up to Jesus and say, I need healing. In fact, Jesus singled this man out for some reason and just decides to heal him. Doesn't reveal to him who he is, doesn't preach the gospel, doesn't say, hey, you need to repent of your sins. He just walks into this crowd of people who are sick, who are waiting for a miracle. He picks one guy, he heals them, and then he disappears into the multitude. This is a, this is a strange miracle. I was asking God I was, as I was reading this, what's, what's going on here? And, I, and thanks for asking. I'm going to explain it to you. It's all good. What's going on here? See, favor is not about fairness. The guy didn't do anything to deserve this. The guy didn't do some special prayer. He was just at the right place at the right time. Favor is not about fairness. Turn the person next to you and say, are you ready for some favor? Some of you looking at your wife and go, I've already been favored in Jesus' name. That was your moment. Favor is not about fairness. This guy is in a situation, Jesus heals him. He didn't ask to be healed. Doesn't know it's Jesus, but he's healed all the same. I don't know about you, but this challenges my way of thinking. This challenges how I feel God should operate sometimes. Come on, Jesus, don't you know this guy's not even a Christian? And you're pouring favor upon his life? I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, you see people getting favored and they don't even know the Lord. You're like, God, that's what I've been praying for. God, they don't even know you, but you're blessing them. Hmm. Favor is not about fairness. There's like some buzzing happening over here. If the production team can help me, amen. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. (laughs) It challenges, you know, sometimes in my mind, I I disqualify 
who should receive favor from God. Sometimes the person I disqualify is myself. Maybe you're here in this place and you've disqualified yourself. I do not deserve favor from God. Because, come on, God knew. God understands. God understands how you are. God understands how I am. God knows uh, what I've done. God knows what I think. And sometimes I can disqualify myself from, hey, I cannot receive a blessing from God. But God was challenging me with this verse because the first thing about favor is not about fairness, okay, is that, hey, God wants to bless me. God wants to grace me. God wants to show me mercy. God wants to show me favor, not because I deserve it, because he's a loving father in heaven. Point one, favor is not about fairness. The second point that I want to share with you is don't hold so tightly to your plan, but hold tightly to God. The verse goes on and it says, it says, now a certain man was there who had had an infirmity for 38 years. 38 years is a long time. This really stuck out to me because I turned 38 this year. Whoa. I know you're surprised. When Jesus saw him there and knew that he had already had been in this condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, 38, everything in the Bible is significant. 38 years. Does anyone know where else 38 is mentioned in the Bible? Doesn't matter if you raise your hand. There's no time for you to come up on the mic, but. Luke said he does, but he was in the first service, so it's kind of cheating. But 38 years would have been significant to the people reading this at the time. In fact, when John tells us that 38 years, the people reading it, this would be a significant date because 38 years only appears once other time in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 2, verse 14. Production team, don't panic, I haven't given you the scripture. But in Deuteronomy 2, verse 14, it talks about this 38 years, and in fact, 38 years was the length of time for an Israelite generation to die out. Now, this was not any normal Israelite generation. This was a generation, it says uh, that God had a promised land for his people, the Israelites, but they sent out 12 spies, come on, you might know the story, to scout the land, but 10 spies came back saying, there's giants there, we can't do it. Even though God has said, this is how it's going to happen. This is what I'm going to give you. They couldn't see past their own limitations. They couldn't see past their own plan. They couldn't see past their own blockages to allow God's favor in. And God had to wait 38 years for that 10 people generation to die out until he could have a generation filled with faith to allow God's plan in. This is the only time it's mentioned. Come on, this is crazy. So in this New Testament story about this man, we hear 38 years because 38 years is a long time. I know some of you who are older than 38, you're like, it's not that long. But for me, it's a long time, okay? If you're a teenager here, it's like an eternity. A teenager called me old the other day, and I was like, whoa, okay, settle down. Where was I? 38 years. So this guy had been there for 38 years. But I, I like to picture this, this man, okay? He knew it was like a catch-22, okay? The only way that he could get healed was to be the first one that steps into the pool when it stirs, but this guy can't walk. So he knew the solution to his healing. He knew his breakthrough. He knew his new life, how it was to be achieved. But we can tell by the 38 years, it never happened. I like to assume that this guy, the 38 years, he would come to a point where now he just accepted this is what life is going to be like. He had his spot. 
He had his place. This is what I'm destined for. 38 years. Hey, I'm not happy with it, but this is all I've got. This is his, this could potentially be his plan for the rest of his life. So when Jesus asks him the question, do you want to get well? It's not a rude question. Like I can see you're having a hard time. Hey, I can heal you. Do you want me to heal you? You know, I'm not too busy. He wasn't asking the guy this. He was asking the guy, do you want to get well? Because he was challenging the guy whether he had enough room in his plan to fit in his healing. You don't believe me? I'm going to get there. See, when Jesus asks this question, English doesn't do it justice. In fact, this word, do you want to get well, is in fact what they call an aorist middle infinitive. Oh, my English teacher said amen. My wife's an English teacher too. She didn't give me a thumbs up, so hey, it doesn't matter. Aorist middle infinitive. So it's not a question like past tense or pretense, do you want to get well? It's actually a statement like what Jesus is literally saying is your healing is here. Do you want to accept it? So your healing is here in this space do you have space to feel this, to put this healing into your current situation? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to allow room when Jesus is before you to be interrupted by Jesus and say, who, here's my healing. I'm willing to change every aspect of my life, every way of my thinking, everything I've thought, how things should be done, how culture tells me I should be healed. I'm faced with before me something I didn't ask for or even plan for. Come on, the grace and merit of God. But when, it's fa- when I'm faced with it, am I willing to step into it and say, hey, I do not know. I do not know where this is coming from. I don't even know God. But am I willing to step out in faith and say, hey, I'm ready to receive my favor? Don't hold too tightly to your plan, but hold tightly to God. Now, this is very real to me because uh, if this is your first time here, uh, myself and my wife and a fantastic team, some have already moved over there, some have moved pre-COVID, but we're planting Global Heart Church Melbourne, hopefully in a couple of weeks, uh, if we can get uh, an apartment approved, please pray for us, and um, uh, where was I? Yeah, we were supposed to move in May of this year, but obviously, you know, stuff happened, and, uh, but I had a plan, in fact, Naveen on the front row here, great man of God, great with planning, he's helped me with planning, budgets, all sorts of stuff that I had little bits of concepts of, but I, you know, in this time since May, it's actually been a two-year process where Pastor Jared, uh, you know, first put it towards me, actually in 2013, when I was living in Japan, Pastor Jared told me about it, so this is like a, a seven-year process of preparation, okay, but in this last, last couple of years, you know, I've, uh, in this last year, I've put together booklets, color pages, I even friggin' binded it, you know, uh, sorry, I'm allowed to say friggin', it's not a swear word, uh, you know, I even paid the extra 15 cents for color pages, you know, because I did highlighting and stuff in there. You know, I uh, did budgets. You know, Naveen sent me all these Excel spreadsheets with budgets. Do you understand? Ah, yeah, it's Q1, Q2, different sectors, all this sort of stuff. Uh, you know, I've even spoken to like five or six different church planters, all our other campus pastors. They give me pages and pages of strategy. You know, I've even looked at the uh, church planning course and how to do it and interest parties and all this sort of stuff. Prayed into it, all that sort of stuff. All these sort of plans... And then may happen. Plans go out the window. And I could have been distraught. God, I had planned this. I had planned every single little detail. But God was trying to teach me, and I'm still trying to get a grip of it and still trying to trust God with it, is that God's like, hey, are you allowing room for my plan? Now, the funny thing is, when I was writing this, uh, putting the notes together yesterday, 
I was getting to this point, and the part in my notes was, you know, how has God blessed me uh, surprisingly in this season? And I think I got to, how has God blessed me, like, surprisingly, I was was trying to write. And I got an email notification at that exact point. This is crazy. I was, like, almost, like, had a moment, like, what's going on here? Email notification, and it was from a girl called uh, Rebecca. And Rebecca used to be a key youth leader uh, when I was the youth pastor back in 2000 and a long time ago. And uh, (laughs) in the email, I clicked on the email because you get easily distracted when you're preparing a sermon. And uh, in the email, it said, hey, this is Rebecca, blah, blah, blah. I spoke to someone in church. I heard you and your wife are coming to Melbourne. Just want to let you know, hey, I'd love to help out in any way you can. I'd love to be uh, a help when you're planning a church, blah, blah, blah. Is there anything I can do? What you don't know, I was also procrastinating when I was doing my message because we have a girl who's already over in Melbourne. Her name is Racer. Racer, if you're watching. And I was like, what can I get Racer to do? So I messaged Rebecca back straight away and I said, hey, I'd love you to catch up with this girl, Racer, blah, blah, blah. Here's her details. And she's like, cool, I'd love to show her around. I've got heaps of friends. I was like, praise God. He's already sitting away. I know it doesn't sound amazing, but here we go. Here's the second part. I did my sister-in-law's wedding a couple weekends ago. And... Uh, for their honeymoon, they went to Margaret River because that's pretty much where all you can go. And um, <laughs> see that or Fremantle. And um, I'll say they were on a cheese tour because that's what you do in Margaret River, on a cheese tour, on a bus because you don't want to have too much cheese and drive, you know what I mean? And um, <laughs> what are you laughing at? I don't get it. And they're on a cheese tour. And sitting next to him, you know, you're having a chat with, you know, the strangers that you're sitting with. And the lady next to him is like, oh, I'm over here from Melbourne. Funny that. And uh, so my sister-in-law begins chatting to her and says, you know what, my sister and my brother-in-law, they're going to Melbourne soon. And she's like, oh, my daughter works in Melbourne. In fact, she's got her own radio show on the radio station. Uh, Like, I'd love you to meet her and I'm sure she would want to show you around. So she's, sister-in-law is telling us this and I'm like, yeah, sure, you know. Anything said on a cheese tour, you know, people say all sorts of uh, <laughs> crazy things. But this girl reached out to my wife and says, hey, look, when you come to, to Melbourne, I'd love to show you around. This is a girl who's got a radio station in Melbourne. Now, I could have a plan, and in fact, I did have a plan of a marketing strategy of how I could reach, and I'm not saying anything's going to come from this, but for me, God was saying, hey, look, there's no way you could have planned this. I couldn't have planned, hey, okay, I got to do the wedding with my sister-in-law, and I've got to put her on this bus because this lady's flying over from Melbourne. She's getting on the bus at the same time, and her daughter's on the God is in control of every single situation, but I've got to allow room for God's plan to interrupt my plan. I've got to hurry up two minutes, uh, 12 minutes. Oh, I'm all good. Third thing, so the second thing was don't hold too tightly to your plan. Hold tightly to God. Third thing, that I got out of this story is pick people, don't pick sides. Pick people, don't pick sides. This is going to get real controversial in this place. Now, the Bible says that this was on the Sabbath. And it goes on, it says, so Jesus said, rise up, take him out and walk. The sick man said, blah, 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 keep going, next verse. I think it's verse 10 I want. All that one, that's good. Verse 10. John 5, verse 10. It's verse 10, 11, and 12. That's the one. 
Well done, guys. Let's give him a hand. Just a side note, it's not easy to work with us preachers. We give them notes, but then we go all over the place. Uh, they really need the Holy Spirit to see what's going on uh, up here. This is the Sabbath. It said, the Jews therefore said to them, uh, who was cured, this man who just been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry a bed. This, this guy's just got an amazing miracle, okay, 38 years. They're not even concerned about that. They're concerned about, hey, he's breaking a law on the Sabbath. Uh, he answered them, as you do, because he doesn't like this side. He says, you know what, in, in condescending tone, he says, uh, he who made me well said to me, take up my bed and walk, and that's what I'm doing. And then they said, then they asked, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the reason why they're asking who it was, I believe, is because they're trying to see whose side Jesus was on. Was Jesus on their side, the religious side, or was Jesus on their side? Because if you read this story carefully, there's two groups of people. Okay, first group of people, we have the religious, the Jewish folk, the self-righteous people. They had a plan. They've had a system of way things works. Works. They have rules. These rules have been around for a long time. They've worked. Don't you dare try and change them. They accept God unless God challenges the way they've always done it. That's the first group. The second group is a group where there's a lot of people, come on, who are a bit down and out, but they also have a plan. They have a plan to make their life better. Their plan is shaped by their community, the conversation, the culture. If we just get to the water, this is what happens. This is our way of doing things. They've got self-righteousness as well. But instead of believing in God, they've, come on, Let's look into it. They've got a little bit more of a new age understanding here, the water stir, angel, all this sort of stuff. Woo, crystals. Um, uh, what's, the, what's the oils? I forget. <laughs> Essential oils. Someone's going to email me right now. <laughs> Mix this oil and this oil in a cauldron and we'll heal this. Um, where was I? So that's the second group of people. They both had their concepts, they both had their culture, they both had the right way. The Jewish people are asking, who is this, who is this Jesus? Because we can understand that only God heals, and we can see that you're healed. They had an understanding of people get healed, but Jesus didn't do it their way either. In fact, Jesus was in the middle. Jesus wasn't on the right side, come on. Jesus wasn't on the left side. Jesus was on the side of the people. The third point that God really challenged me, and maybe this is because I'm moving to Melbourne, but God really challenged me, don't pick a side, pick people. Jesus didn't understand or didn't care about what this guy's theology was. Jesus cared about this guy. In fact, I can be so caught up with what's the right side, wrong side, that I miss God trying to use somebody because they don't fit my side. Now, just a little caveat, I'm not saying, hey, I have to believe or agree with what everyone else believes and agree. I believe with what the Bible says. Come on, I, always, I will always fight against and fight for what Jesus believes in. Come on, I will always fight against human injustice. Come on, we're called as Christians to believe that. I'm not saying to accept person, a person we have to agree with what they believe in. But God really challenged me to see the person through what they believe in. That I can be so consumed with my theology and my ideas that I can lose compassion for a person who's hurting, that may have those ideas, that may have those thoughts and things that way that life does because of a situation that's happened to them that I'm not totally aware of. 
My challenge to you, and I know it's being really quiet in here, and the challenge that God challenged me with is, hey, don't pick a side, pick people. Don't pick a side, pick people. The band's going to join me, and I'm going to finish on this last part of the verse, which for many years has always perplexed me. In fact, it only shows up one other part in the Bible as well where we hear the story of a woman who breaks the alabaster jar on Jesus' feet and Jesus says to her, go sin no more. And Jesus says the same thing to this guy in the last verse. He says, verse 14, he says, afterwards, Jesus found this man, this man he just healed in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. But then he says something, leave it up there. He says something that if you've been in church for any amount of time, we can just skim over because it doesn't fit in with what we understand about the gospel, what we understand about the purposes of Jesus coming and sacrificing himself upon the cross for us. He says to the man, sin no more. I mean, is that even possible? I don't know about you, don't raise your hand, but Jesus is asking this man seemingly a thing that seems Impossible because Jesus didn't come so we would stop sinning. Jesus came and gave his life, come on, so we could be forgiven for the sins past, present, and future. So what is he saying to this man as you still leave it up? He says, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. I was chewing on this verse. God, what are you trying to say? God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to... What do you want me to share with the people? God, what are you trying to say in this verse? Because God is in here for a reason, and I don't want to skim over it that maybe I skimmed over it many years before. But See, I came to understand that what Jesus was talking about to this man was the sin of his own self-righteousness. See, the sin I believe the man had committed was the sin that Jesus challenged when he said, do you want to get well? It was the sin of saying, hey, even though I can't complete it, even though I can't get it, I have a plan for my life. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. This is how I receive my new life. I haven't got it yet. It's been 38 years. Maybe this is resonating someone with someone. This is the plan I have. Go to university. All these things are good. Get this job. Marry this person. Buy this nice car. If I do all these things, I'm going to reach the goal. But it seems like you always fall short. Having a plan. Come on. Positioning yourself in the house of God is good, but if you miss the prompting of God, you've missed it. It's good to invest in education. It's good to invest in your health. It's good to invest in things, but if you can't hear the interruption of God, you're stuck in your own self-righteousness. And he says to this man, have you left behind what you've experienced for 38 years? Because he tells the man, I want you to pick up your mat and walk. Because some of us, you know, even though Jesus tells us, hey, I've got this future for you, we just, come on, we want to leave the mat there just in case. But Jesus says, no, nah, it's all in. I'm asking you, man. I'm asking you, are you ready to give up this life of sin? Are you ready to give up wholeheartedly that, hey, I am in control and allow me to step and intervene into your life lest something worse happen to you. Thank you, Jesus.
Because what could be worse? I think this story could have ended a, a, a devastating way. It could have ended like this. this. This man, he got healed, but because he'd known only this for 38 years, it was uncomfortable, so he decided to go, go lay back down on his mat and wait for the water to stir so he can get in because that he understood. And he would have missed, although risky, although it takes courage, although it takes stepping into the unknown, he would have missed for the rest of his life the plan and purpose that God would have had for him. For me, A, that's something worse. But B, what Jesus was talking about is if he couldn't get past this self-righteous nature, come on, that I can do it my own, that I can forgive myself, that in fact he would spend eternity separated from Jesus, that if he did not accept what Jesus had not just done for him physically, but spiritually, that he had forgiven him for his sin, not just his physical ailment, but his spiritual ailment, this man could have spent an eternity separated from God. B, that's the second thing that could be much worse. And God encouraged me in this moment. And when preparing, told me to encourage you that sometimes even as a Christian, we can fit into one of these two categories. That, hey, I've been coming to church. This is how I've done my Christianity for so long. I may feel a little bit stale, may feel like nothing's moving, but this is my life. I've been doing it for 38 years. And God has tried to challenge me to change, to move, maybe to come to Melbourne. That's a word for someone. Thank you, Jesus. But we're so stuck in our routine that we can't hear God trying to interrupt our routine. And friend, you could live the rest of your life in regret. Or B, there's a second group here as we stand to our feet. And I know this is me. I was category B in 2005, November, when I first stepped into this house. Was that I had a plan, a plan that would make my life successful. And if I was honest, I would never tell anybody else, but no matter what it looked like on the outside, with a six-finger income, the nice car, the lots of friends, the party lifestyle, it looked great. But on the inside, something was missing. I was that second category who was so stubborn in my own ways that no one could tell me anything different. But as I stood in the back corner over there, Sunday morning, I think it used to be 11 o'clock back then, 11 a.m., I was at the 11 a.m. because I went out partying the Saturday night before. Hung over in that middle section. Cat pulled over my eyes. For the first time, as Pastor Jared preached, God was challenging me with that question. Are you ready? Are you ready to live, leave your life of sin, of self-righteousness? And allow me to take control of your life. Not in a demanding or an overbearing way, but as a loving father, like I said, who just wants to favor you, even though it doesn't seem fair or logical. And Pastor Jared in that moment offered me an opportunity, which I'm going to offer every single person in this place right now with every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others 
to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member, and let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.